Hello, everybody, and welcome to the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast about everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Frank Washcook. I'm PR Week's executive editor, and we have a terrific guest for you on the podcast this week, and that's Megan Driscoll. She's the founder and CEO of Evolve MKD. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Frank. Absolutely. And we have an excellent co-host, as always, calling in from her home office deep in the suburbs of New Jersey is Diana Bradley, PR Week's uh, associate news editor. Diana, thank you for, for joining in. Thank you for having me. Now, you're in Saddle River, right? No, I'm in Park Ridge. Park Ridge. <laughs> it's Park near Ridge. Saddle River. Yes, yes. Former yes. home of Richard Nixon. For people who <laughs> Is that know. really true? It's a very random <laughs> fact, but yes, he retired to Park Ridge, New Jersey. Randall. I think we should say the home of Diana Bradley. <laughs> 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 uh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, so Megan, thanks for again for joining us. And I noticed in doing some some light research for this podcast that you you are the only executive in this industry whose bio says that she learned how to drive a truck, fish, and throw a spear all in the same weekend. So were you hunting zombies or, or what were you up to that weekend? Um, no, so it was uh, still during like the depths of COVID, but when things had started to kind of loosen up. Um, and I was actually in the process of deciding whether or not to divorce my husband. And I decided to escape to my friend's 60,000 acre ranch in Wyoming. And I had never been to Wyoming. And it was fascinating. And he just really took it upon himself to like make me a wilderness lady. Wow. So um, I haven't driven a car in 20 years. And he insisted I get behind the wheel of his like huge like RAV4 like truck. Um, because he's like, there's nothing out here to hit. And I was like, I guess that's true. So <laughs> I got behind the truck and then, um, and then we, he taught me how to throw a spear. Did you hit and anything with the spear? I did not hit anything with the spear, but I did catch a fish. Okay. Which right. I was like the winner for the weekend. So right. apparently there's a whole other side of me that I never knew existed. I've had whole weekends where I don't catch a fish. So <laughs> that's, that's terrific. So, um, you know, it's hard to believe, but you, you've been in business now at Evolve for almost a decade. So mm -hmm. uh, how can it be? It, it seems it's like that's cr really fun. crazy. Uh, but take us back. How did you um, decide to go out on your own? Um, I actually went out on my own um, out of necessity. Uh, I was a partner in another boutique agency here in the city. And, you know, just like marriages, romantic marriages, sometimes business marriages don't work out. And during that whole experience, I had a lot of mentors in my life be like, you can do this. You should do this. Um, and I was like, why does the world need another agency? Uh, but the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I should try this. Like I... I have definitive ideas on client service, definitive ideas on how to organize an agency, especially with like PR and digital being two components of uh, the work that we do. And so I was like, what's the worst that happens? Like I fail and I get another job. So I tried it. There you go. <clears throat> um, what do you what did you see as the thing you could add? You know, you just said, you know, what do we need another agency for? You know, yeah. what, what did you say we can be unique at doing? I think there were two things and I think these are still, you know, philosophies that we have to this day. Um, I'm a big believer in um, being very direct with clients. So at Evolve, we definitely have a culture of like not being afraid to disagree with our mm -hmm. clients because I think part of our job is counsel. So we're very much like yes and, um, not order takers. But I think we combine that with an expertise um, in different areas, PR, digital analytics, um, but also just really being high touch and I think that's different. Like I text with almost all now, my high, clients. High touch, that's a that's an industry term. Oh. So what do you mean by that? Uh, just like t basically 
constantly communicating okay. with them. We probably are over communicators, but you know, I, it's really important to me. And I've seen the opposite happen in other agencies that no matter how big we get, that every client feels like they can call me, they know who I am, we have a relationship. Um, and I think on the staff side, you know, I really wanted to have a culture where there was no ceiling. Okay. So, um, and I think a lot of agencies say that, but a lot of agencies have a lot of weird bureaucratic things. Like you have to wait this many years before you can be the, like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. If you make my life easier, make me money, have like a great attitude. I'm like the world's your oyster. All right. What would you say that was the biggest surprise when you were launching a firm? <laughs> there were actually so many surprises. Um, the biggest surprise was, I think you see how amazingly awesome people are, but at the same time, you see the worst of them. Yeah. And it was hard to predict who was going to be in which category. Interesting. You know, you mentioned mentorship before, which, you know, we hear all the time as mm-hmm. this is an industry, it's very important then. Um, anybody specifically or any great advice you got when you were putting the shop together? Uh, you know, the, I, I've gotten two pieces of advice from my mentor that I, that I live by. Um, the first one is that a contract is only as good as the person on the other side of it. So I always think about that. That's why we're very selective with the clients we take. And that's why I've been known to let clients go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly is more for kind of interact, how people interact with me. And I, I have a rule that you can approach me on the same thing only twice. And the second time you have to do it from a different way. Um, and if my answer is still no, like it's a dead issue. Okay, fair enough. So uh, among the people, and I'm, I'm going to assume this is a mentor of yours as well, but among the people that work at your firm is your mother, which is a unique yes. arrangement. Yes, she has worked with us least. since 2016. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I always joke that my mom really runs the show and I just sign mm-hmm. the checks, um, but she is our office manager and she's been great. Um, she does run a really tight ship. She kind of keeps us all in line. Um, I think she's really helpful for the junior staff who this is like their first job mm-hmm. because she, you can ask her all those questions. You and might they know ask. not to mess with her too. They do know not to mess with her, but then at the same time, they're kind of like more comfortable with her in certain ways. And for me, the great like gift has been, you know, you rarely get to know your parents as people. And so now I know my mom like as a human and not just as my mom. Like I know all of her like idiosyncrasies. I know like you know, the things that annoy me about her as like a human, like that maybe I wouldn't have gotten to see in the same way. Yeah. And um, you mentioned she's a part of the interview process. She is. So she is the interview before people get to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And she is a former teacher. So her intuition, her judgment, she picks up on things that like none of the rest of us see like body language. She knows almost like the second someone walks in just by their energy, like kind of which way the interview's going. And we have overruled her I think a handful of times and she's always been proven correct. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug here because we're, we're <laughs> launching a column soon that is, is focused on industry employees, let's say 25 and younger. Mm-hmm. You I know, know I sent, I sent the poster yes. on to my staff. Cool. Cause I cool. was like, you guys should put in for this. Yeah. Um, what, what would impress someone like your mom during the interview process when, when people are looking for that first or second job, you know, what, do, what does she look for? What do you look for in an interview that, that, you know, kind of knocks it out of the park? Well, for her, um, I would say showing up early, okay, having great eye contact, being very present in the interview, having done your research. So asking her, um, you know, thoughtful, specific questions, mm-hmm. like knowing what her role is. So you're not asking her something that like she's not qualified to answer. And then 
you know, the things that she finds as a red flag when people ask her about like, um, like fun, like only the fun parts of the job. Um, and she's like, you know, this is like work. Like it's not always mm-hmm. sure there are some great opportunities, but there's also like a lot of like hard work that people do here. So, so that's always something that kind of tips her off for me. Um, the biggest thing I look for is self-awareness. So, what, what do you mean? What um, I like people on my team who, you know, I'm a very direct communicator. Um, I want people who have confidence enough to be direct back with me. And um, I think when you're self-aware and when you're aware of the strengths you bring to, to the table, but also the areas of opportunity, it just sets everyone up to be able to have like conversations about those strengths and about those opportunities in a way that's productive. All right. Excellent advice. But working with your mom, you know, Thanksgiving dinner ever a little <laughs> awkward. Like, do you have to cut off the work talk at any? We do. Point? It's hard. Yeah. We have to set we have to set some boundaries. She, she's more she's worse about it than oh, I am. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We're moving offices. And she is like, I literally have not spoken to my mother probably in three weeks. I've only spoken to my office manager. OK, she's probably very passionate. She, yeah, she's, I mean, she, she is awesome. I would like, I seriously recommend she see, just sees things that I don't see. Fair it's very enough. helpful. So uh, I want to hear a little bit more about the firm, who you work with, what kind of clients you look for, who you've had long partnerships with, you know, give us the elevator pitch for your firm and then just, just tell us about the clients and the excellent work you're doing. Yeah. So we, um, we're about 30 people. We're, you know, based in New York, but our clients are all over and um, Evolve works with uh, clients in the healthcare beauty lifestyle space. I would say the majority of our clients right now are in consumer healthcare. Um, So that's like women's health, aesthetics, dermatology, eye care, mental health. Um, And I think, you know, we've all found that really rewarding because I think those clients, you actually do feel like you're also kind of doing good. And philanthropy is a big part of our mission as an organization as well. I would say the clients we work with, you know, some of them come to us for just PR. Some of them come to us for like, digital. Some of us come to them for a mix. Um, Alex, who's sitting with us, was my first and only investment hire I've made to date. She heads our research and analytics department. And she's actually grown that team. I think in 2021, they made $33,000. And last year, they made a million. So we really have so so investments pay off for any business owners listening out there. But I would say in terms of clients we look for, we really just look for clients that honestly, I'm pretty industry agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as, you know, what you're looking for us to represent does what it says it's going to do is safe. Um, you're realistic. We like working with people. Every relationship goes through ups and downs, but we want people that are really committed to long-term partnerships. Um, and then, you know, does the budget match the ask? We have clients at the agency that are, you know, like Cooper Surgical, Cooper um, Vision. They're part of Cooper Companies. It's a multi-billion dollar global company. And then we have like well-funded like startups. So we're kind of agnostic to where you are on the life cycle as a business or as a brand, um, as long as you have those three key things. Okay. You mentioned research and I know you've done some recently. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, we did during COVID, um, we decided to uh, launch our first proprietary research, which actually studied how COVID, mental health, how that whole thing has kind of modified how we communicate with each other. Um, Found some really interesting items um, that helped inform some of our work over the last 18 months. And then we decided at the end of last year to explore the relationship between media and um, consumers, kind of how they view themselves and how that might defer how consumers view media and how media view themselves and how those two things might compare. So these are these are both really interesting. And I I think especially the mental health one that you did during COVID, because it's it's just 
um, CNN had a story on this morning about um, there's a government study that says one in six people are suffering from depression right now. Yeah. And we're seeing that with our mental health client, Neurostar. It's yeah. And crazy. And, you know, honestly, when you're just talking to people, sometimes it feels like a lot more than that, you know, who are, are you know, dealing with anxiety or depression. I mean, I'm sure you, whatever, you see this. You know? I also feel like even beyond the um, like formal categories of um, illness, I mean, people have just not been well. Yeah, I, like I, the I, last eighteen months. So I think there's like a broader. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I I completely agree. I think that the the things caused by the pandemic that yeah, are maybe we're not be, measurable. We're going to be dealing with it for people. I think yeah. the rest of our lives, like unintended consequences of COVID. Yeah, I I would completely agree. And. Um, the relationship with the media. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, what were the findings from that? Yeah, so there was a, a ton of interesting findings, but I think the the biggest thing that stood out and that we've got a lot of questions on is that the media still view themselves as like trustworthy, mm. like providing great education, and media really see that uh, consumers really see the media as completely the opposite, not yeah. trustworthy, biased. Um, you know, what I personally found the most interesting was that, you know, we, to do this, we surveyed a thousand consumers and then 500 media um, across the country. And the media actually were pretty honest that they didn't always feel that their number one priority was to educate. Right. A lot of them felt that it was to entertain or to make their um, outlets money, which like, look, I mean, no, no one's under any illusion, illusion that they're businesses. Yeah. But I thought that from someone who's been in traditional PR, for over 20 years now, I found that very interesting that we're at a place that they actually like admit that. Um, and I think for communications professionals, it's really important to keep that in mind as mm -hmm. we're thinking through, okay, their end goal, like our end goal, I think in, a, in our purest sense is to educate on behalf of our clients. And I think understanding that media may not have education as their primary goal is important to think through like how you approach them as a communications professional. Yeah. And a lot of our clients, and I think one of the things we're, we're exceptionally good at is we work with clients who sell to consumers, but go through usually a healthcare professional to do that. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that came out of our survey was that data and KOLs are just like critically important to validating um, a news story. Mm. So consumers look at that piece yeah. as being much more credible if those two things are involved. You know, it's interesting what you said. And I, I think it depends who you're talking to from what, what part of the media. A hundred percent. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, because I thinking a little bit about what we do. I mean, we want to be telling people things they don't know yes. all the time. Right. That's job number one. You know, so. So, yes, informing. But we do you know, we we do some soft news. We do some light stuff. You yeah. Know, there, are, there are opportunities to entertain as well. So, um but I think the difference is you guys are always, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was totally excited to come on this podcast is you guys also like do the research, do the work, like you want to make sure it's accurate. I would say that you'd be surprised yeah, at how that is like not always the attitude, even amongst I like some might national. Might not be that surprised. <laughs> heard some stories here and there. So, um, you know, we've just talked about the impact of the pandemic. Um, how has it affected the types of work that you're doing on behalf of clients or even the clients you're taking on? Yeah, I mean, I would say from a business owner standpoint, my joke that I say now is that, sure, I've owned Evolve, owned Evolve for nine years in September, but it's really like 15 years because mm -hmm. it's like dog years now with yeah. COVID. But in terms of the work, you know, obviously, like everyone else, all of our in-person stuff pulled back immediately. I would say that that's fully back. Like we have an event, a huge event tonight. Um, yeah. We have like three in the next couple of weeks. Um, our digital and influencer work did grow a bit. 
um, and the influencer work in particular has not subsided. That still is, I would say, after PR, that's the second um, item we always get requests for. So both paid and earned. And I would say that's that's been an evolution okay. um, for the agency. I would also say the kind of work we're getting now is much more integrated um, campaigns where we own, I would say, like 80% of the work. So it seems like there was also for the kinds of clients we work with, a little bit of a weariness of having to go to like 10 different agencies. And a lot of our clients kind of used COVID as an excuse to, I think, shave down to like two, three, as opposed to like 15. Have you uh, seen an uptick? Because I want to talk about health equity a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, um, one of the unfortunate parts of 2020 was George Floyd's murder. Yes. And I think you see brands of all kinds after that doing more health equity work. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the months and years after. Did that change the type of work you were doing as well? Um, a little bit. I mean, our, the work that we, the work that we get, um, primarily women's health, had already kind of had some of that health, equi- health equity part to it because the way African-American women in particular are treated in our healthcare system is horrible. Yeah. So, um, you know, Cooper Surgical, that's something that they're like, hi- they have been hyper-focused on. Um, even before kind of 2020. Um, I will say, I think with some of our aesthetics clients, we did a project um, with Allergan and Skin Better, which were both clients at the time called Dream, which was basically an initiative to have more health equity in aesthetic medicine. And there were three parts to that project. Um, One was the Skin Atlas was updated, which is kind of like the book that all dermatologists use. Yeah, I remember that campaign. That's to, to kind of look at pictures of like different skin issues. And it was, you know, primarily white skin. Sure. So we brought into all Fitzpatrick skin types. Um, there was a training program that was put into place as a pilot program to just for residents in dermatology to think about their own kind of biases going into um, treating different kinds of patients. And then um, we did a lot of research um, with both of them um, that was launched last year that kind of was about perception of beauty, um, kind of how that paired uh, from group to group and also compared to like kind of what the industry was showing those women. And I think, you know, I think it was it was really interesting. And I think not only did it help those two companies, but I think in aesthetics, there's more of an awareness now um, that beauty comes in like all different shapes, sizes and colors. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would say that the work um, that you mentioned, the dermatology is just, you know, really important stuff. So um, that's that's a really interesting campaign, I think. Um, what's your outlook on the economy right now? Because, you know, look, we just did our agency business report and, you know, it's sort of a tale of two years, 2022, very strong, 2023, a lot of headwinds or headaches, however you want to look at it. Um, what's your stance on where we might be headed right now? So one of the things I've learned, um, owning Evolve for this long is that because I think we're a smaller independent agency, we tend to be a leading indicator. So I think things hit us a little bit before they hit everything. So for us, we actually started noticing a change. I don't want to say a slowdown because that wasn't really accurate, Mm -hmm. but like a difference in attitude or requests, really the back half of 22. Um, I would say 23 has been like stopping, starting, like people not really sure what's happening. Yeah. You know, then we had like the bank brief hiccup in March. People were like, not sure. Um, it does feel like the back half of the year is setting up to be stronger. Just kind of some of the calls we're getting now, the conversations that we're having. So I'm kind of like mixed on it. I don't, I think, I feel like no one knows 
like what's happening. And so because of that, it's creating this like self-fulfilling, like people are nervous, they're afraid to spend. You're not alone on that. I mean, yeah. we, we get asked that all the time of, like, yeah. you know, what are my peers worrying about with this? And yeah, and I've heard it from, I, yeah, and I, I talked to an investment bank kind of in our industry. We lunched a couple of weeks ago and he, he was saying, he basically, his question to me was like, oh, have you done layoffs yet? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, we've never done like any layoffs in Evolve's history. And he was like, we were lucky. <laughs> um, but I guess my question that I, I just don't have an answer on is like how much of this was because like there was so much money pumped into the economy during COVID and there was like an overhiring. Mm-hmm. And now is this really a recession or is it like a correction from like the bizarreness of the last few years? Like, I, I, don't, I just don't know what that answer is. We're going to see in the second half of this yeah, we'll year, see. aren't we? Um, so you're up for some recognition. We are. Too. Um, so to, to, for a nonprofit that you work with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me a little and bit. And we're about, also up for your recognition. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> which I thought was what we were talking about. I'm going to plug that later. Okay. Don't, don't worry. I was trying to uh, do it for you. Yeah. Um, but you're up for some recognition from a nonprofit you work with. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I'm on the board of Safe Horizon, which is the largest uh, victims assistance organization in the United States. Um, so they do everything from... Um, you know, run domestic violence shelters in the tri-state area to um, children advocacy centers where, um, you know, they sort of separate children who are being abused to like needle exchanges to mental health. So they actually run the rape crisis hotline in New York state. And so we evolve, um, we give 10% of our profits to charities every year. So we've been supporting Safe Horizon both with money and time because we also do a quarterly volunteer day every quarter. And I just love the organization. And then in 2021, I reached out to them and I was like, Hey, I, you know, I just love what this organization is doing. Can I join the board? Um, And so I went through the board process. I've been on the board now for two years, which has been so informative. And you see just how dedicated the staff is and how tough this work really is, uh, even more so than we were before I was on the board. Like you get a real understanding of that. And then they called me um, and they do a gala every May. And so they asked if they could honor me at this year's gala, which is on Thursday. Guessing it informs some of your, you know, agency work as well, too, just given that it's very health focused. It does. So it, yeah. it definitely, info- you know, I mean, I am, um, you know, most of Evolve is female. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we love men, but, um, <laughs> you know, I would say we're very like female forward and female yeah. focused. Uh, so it does line up with that. But I'm I'm really excited. I'm I have to give a speech, which I'm not not as excited about, but um, I've been working on it for a few weeks. So hopefully it all goes well and and we'll raise money for a great cause. All right. Well, Megan, thanks for joining us. Uh, (laughs) And feel free to talk about any of the uh, big Marcom's news of the week that we're going to go over with Diana. Let me bring in Diana Bradley, our excellent associate news editor. So Pfizer's account, Diana, still up for grabs. Yes. So Pfizer, actually, they brought on Publicis Group to handle its integrated global engine work, which includes data and tech, media and creative production, and it named Interpublic Group as its lead creative partner. Um, But we asked them if an agency was hired to handle PR um, as part of its review, and a spokesperson from the company said that product PR is still being considered and will be addressed as part of the fuller implementation. So Publicis's main PR agency is MSL and IPG's PR firms include Weber Shamwick Collective and Golan, as well as the integrated Dextra Health Network. And um, in recent years, Pfizer has worked with PR firms such as Weber, Ogilvy, Real Chemistry, Dini von Mufling Communications, Porter Novelli, and Edelman. 
So yeah, this selection came after uh, Pfizer kicked off an agency review earlier this year directed by its newly minted CMO, Drew Panayotu. And I'm sorry if I butchered. Do you think they'd be interested in a small female-owned independent agency? You'd have to ask them. (laughs) You'd have to ask them. I unfortunately cannot be a go-between, but you'd have to ask them. So um, yeah, this is is a big account, obviously. So it's something we're keeping a close eye on. And I I think that everybody has been. Um, So Diana, up next... New CEO of Twitter seems to have her work uh, cut out for her even more than earlier this week or last week. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, she definitely has her work cut out for her. Um, so last Friday, Elon Musk confirmed that NBC Universal advertising chief Linda Yaccarino was named as Twitter's CEO. Uh, one of her first jobs will be ensuring that brands feel safe on Twitter. Um, And Musk, who has served as the CEO since buying Twitter in November, will transition to executive chairman and chief technology officer when Yaccarino takes charge in about six weeks. Um, And communications executives are particularly waiting to see how she handles brand safety concerns. Brian Snyder, Exacom's global president of digital, said that Yaccarino could be a good complement to Musk given her experience running an ad-driven media business and the reputation she's accumulated. Um, And Snyder's looking to see how Yaccarino tackles radical messaging on the platform. Meanwhile, Andrew Graham, founder and head of strategy at PR agency Bread and Law, said that as long as Musk is in control of the product, it's going to be an uphill battle in terms of moderating extremist voices. And he added that Yaccarino must sway Musk on his moderation policies to create a safer space for brands to engage on Twitter. Um, But I also want to add that on Tuesday night um, this week, Musk sat down with CNBC for an interview in which he said he's willing to lose money on the site to air controversial opinions. Um, He also disagreed with law enforcement that the Texas mall shooter had Nazi and other extreme right-wing tendencies and called working from home... uh, bullshit and morally wrong. So it's in a quote, you can say it. So yes, in a quote. Okay. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what kind of real changes Yaccarino is able to make, um, even in the title as high as CEO with Musk still in place as the owner. So Megan, have you have you had any clients or, or just things you've heard uh, around the industry, but have you had any clients, you know, have any hesitation about being on Twitter, whether it's an, uh, you know, we're going to have an account on there or we're going to advertise on there? Yeah, so most of of our clients um, do have accounts on there. I will say most of them pulled money, mm-hmm. um, but that's not really a channel that that anyone that we work with advertise is on. Right. Like we just launched a large celebrity campaign, and that was and they're pouring a lot of money into digital, and that wasn't even like part of the discussion. Where are they? What do you mean? Where are they? Like what platforms are they? Are they uh, Instagram. Their primary platforms are Instagram and Facebook. They're starting to experiment with TikTok, and we yeah. did run some paid on TikTok. But yeah, Twitter, I mean, especially because of the clients we have with ISI, it just was, it's like not worth it. Sure. I will say though, from a new CEO perspective, I mean, her, her politics are not that far removed from his. Right. (laughs) So while I think there'll be some, how, how will she make brands feel comfortable? I think they're probably more aligned politically than is being talked about. Yeah, I, I, I think it does have to be said. I mean, she she has a great reputation in terms of what she did at NBC. Universal. She does. She has a great reputation. I'm not sure anybody, you know, saw the there being a right wing backlash to her appointment 
as well because she's a part of the World Economic Forum, which was a surprise. Yeah. So very much see how this one turns out Could mm-hmm. go in any direction. OK, Diana, bring us up to speed on two agency deals, uh, one of which is going to see the end of the agency uh, known as Levick uh, and uh, a move that involves Jasper advisors. Yeah. So um, last month, um, Levick founder and CEO Richard Levick died at the age of 65 and so the agency staffers are now moving over to an agency called LIDAR. Um, it's an international advocacy, branding, and communications consultancy. Um, it's headquartered in Geneva, but it's opening offices in the U.S. for the first time, planting its flag in New York and Washington, D.C. And the hires effective immediately come as Levick winds down its operations. So um, former Levick SVP Maxwell Mercucci will run the LIDAR Washington, D.C. office, and John Lovallo, who is the former chair of Levick's Corporate Reputation and Financial Practices, will run the LIDAR New York office as MD of Corporate and Finance. And Stagwell bought a new firm as well. Yes. So Stagwell agency SKDK has acquired Jasper Advisors, which is a strategic advisory firm. And under the deal, Jasper will operate as an independent subsidiary of SKDK, keeping its name. Julie, Andre Jensen, and David Sutfin are continuing as Jasper's co-CEOs, joined by Jasper's two other employees. Um, And Jensen and Sutfin's expertise will help drive growth in appealing areas such as sports, philanthropy, entertainment, and finance, said SKDK CEO Doug Thornell. Let's finish this off with um, a story. It's a Mother's Day story, even though Mother's Day was a few days ago. But uh, a Mother's Day story that I I just thought was you couldn't not like it. It was a great story. So uh, tell (laughs) us a little bit about this. It's about a traveling bassinet. Okay. Yeah. Which I have to, I said to Diana <laughs> last week, I said the first time I saw her headline on the story, I, I mistakenly read it as a traveling bassoonist. And, uh, and it's, it's, <laughs> that would have been a way different story. And I could not figure out how it was a Mother's Day story at first glance, but it's a traveling bassinet. So tell, tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, I feel like an agency out there listening should definitely implement a travel bassoonist into their culture. Um, But yeah, um, so this is a really cute story. For for the past seven years, Zeno's Chicago office has upheld the unique tradition um, to help support new moms at the firm. So the original owner of the bassinet was Deputy MD of Zeno Central, Allison Aaron. And she said she was gifted the bassinet when her second child, Lily, was born. Um, She used it for six weeks, and then it sat idle in her basement for years. But then as more of her colleagues started families of their own, she wanted to help in some way. So she started letting colleagues borrow the bassinet. And so far, it's been shared by 11 Zeno babies. Um, And Zeno created a really great video for Mother's Day sharing the story of the bassinet and included images of the babies that have used it. And um, Allison told PR Week, she said, we're all human and there's no longer a strict separation between work life and family life. There's something about the culture at Zeno and the ties that bind us together that this kind of simple offering connects us all in such a basic familial way. So that's just a really neat way that one PR agency is building its culture. 
So it's it's heartwarming, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's, it's a really good, cute. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. Um, well, that's about all the time we have for this week. Megan, thanks for joining us. Diana, yeah, thank you. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, and Diana, thank you for joining us as well. So uh, one shameless plug for an upcoming and great PR Week event that's uh, next week in New York City. Uh, it is our second healthcare conference and awards. It's going to be next Wednesday. So uh, if you can join us, please do. We have a terrific lineup of speakers and panels and then the awards uh, are at night. So you can still get tickets and you can get directions to do that if you visit our website. So we hope to see you all there. That's all we have time for on this edition of the PR Week. We will see you all again next week. Thank you.